Hello, and welcome to the Brooks Breakthrough Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Brooks, and I am so excited to bring an amazing dear friend of mine um, to, to share some of her story with you guys today. My name is Tiara Tony. Tiara and I actually went to college years ago together, um, and she has been on a wild ride the last few years, um, teaching overseas and, and just racking up so many amazing experiences, traveling across the world. Um, and I'm so excited for her to share um, some of her insight as far as her experiences, what it was like teaching overseas, um, sharing some of her adventures, um, and even getting into um, perspectives, um, differences between cultures. And so it's going to be a really, really interesting conversation. Um, so without further ado, Tiara, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get to share um, this piece of my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, fun story about us. So I shared that we went to college, but we were also roommates for a few years. And one of my favorite stories to tell people about us being roommates, you're going to laugh about this, is our first Christmas together. <clears throat> when we got a tree and we went to the store, we were like, hey, we're going to get a tree. You get your ornaments. I'll get my ornaments. I'm very simple, classic, like I'm not real loud, anything like that. I came back with red, silver, black. And you brought, I think it was like neon blue and like green. And I immediately thought, this is not going to match. Our tree is going to look so crazy. <laughs> and you were a, a middle school teacher at that time. And a few days later, you were like, hey, some of my kids made ornaments for me. Can I put them on the tree? And immediately my mind was like, more stuff that doesn't match. <laughs> and you were so gracious with me. And I really appreciate that. I even I this story gets even better because I remember asking you like, Ashley, what are you going to do when, you know, your daughter or your son bring home an ornament and they're so proud of this ornament and they're going to be, you know, kindergarten and you have a two-year-old. So kindergartners coming or in daycare, you're going to get the nice picture with the puzzle pieces around it. And it's going to be like, mommy, look at my ornament. <laughs> and the question still stands. And because you said that quite, they were going to have their own treat. So yeah. now that you have a two-year-old, has this changed? We, so we actually haven't done trees yet. Um, ah. So that hasn't even been on the table, but, and my sister gets on to me. She's like, she needs her own tree, all this. So we help my sister, Megan and Austin put her tree together. We haven't put any of our ornaments on there, but I think when the day does come, um, she's in daycare now. And so I have no doubt that they're going to make an ornament this year. Yeah, um, yeah. It'll be the one ornament that doesn't match this year, okay. but I can't go past okay. that. <laughs> Yeah, if we put up a tree this year, but yeah, it's still still the same, still the same. She's got to go to Blair's little tree. Yeah, I'll have to. Yeah, when we do it, I'll take a picture. I'll let her do it because she'll. Right now, she's all into Disney and anything that's a character. So we'll probably have a bunch of different characters on there that have nothing to do with each other. Um, so to be in her room. But anyway, so before we get into um, your experience overseas, I want to just share a little about who you are. So. Give people some background. Um, where are you from? What led you into teaching? Um, so I'm originally, I'm a military kid. So kind of where I'm from is like a, a hard question to answer. Um, I came at the end of my parents' military career. So I grew up in Texas. Um, I, both my parents were stationed in San Antonio. And so most of my, my whole life was pretty much in San Antonio. So I grew up in San Antonio. And then after college, I moved to Houston. And so depending on how I'm feeling what day will depend on if I claim San Antonio or Houston, but it's usually one of the two. Um, and then, so yeah, I did my whole adult life in Houston. Um, I decided to be a teacher. I actually went to school originally to be a nursing major. And I think I was more like, oh, this, I'm in it for the money. I think 
you know, I liked science. So I was like, well, I'll be a nurse. And I always wanted to do something that would take me overseas. And I knew that like teaching or education would be one of those two things that would land me overseas. I sat in my first anatomy class and I was like, "Uh, no, I don't care about any of these things past this course. Um, So I ended up becoming a middle school science teacher. And I've done that for the past nine years. Um, And I chose middle school because they are the weirdest bunch of kids. Um, Middle school is the most, it's the make it or break it stage. So either if you talk about people who love school or people who hate school, usually it was determined in middle school. Like their middle school experience was what everybody, almost everybody, kids, leave elementary and love school. They're still really enthusiastic about school. They still really like it, but something switches in middle school. And if we can still keep them engaged and give them the tools that they need, then most likely they'll have that good experience outside of, you know? And so that's the make it or break it stage. So I knew that I wanted to be in middle school um, because that's the stage where, you know, they are coming into their own. A lot of the skills that they're learning and developing are learned in middle school. We refine them in high school and we sharpen them in college, but a lot of the foundation of who they are and who they want to be and the skills that they have is from middle school. And so I knew if the biggest difference I wanted to make and the toughest age group to deal with was middle school. So chose middle school and have not regretted it since. Wouldn't teach anything else. And you you do handle those kids really well because you would come back and share stories and I'm like man you don't take crap from anyone but you do it in a very direct but still loving way like you have a really good balance of the two um you know you have to you have to be able to yell at them one minute and smile with them the next minute and they're like we're over this I'm like yeah we're over this fix it and we're done that's it let's move on you know yeah and no you don't you don't hold any like grudges or let it linger I think kids are so used to like parents letting it linger um, yeah, that, which is good. Um, for sure, for sure. Share, share some of your experience teaching um, here in Houston before leaving. Um, so teaching in Houston, both times I taught in um, both all Title I schools. Um, I taught in two Title I schools prior to moving um, overseas. And, um, you know, they come with their challenges. You know, both times I taught 98% um, second language learners in both schools. Um, And so um, have always dealt with second language learners, mainly Spanish um, and loved the the culture. So I got to coach too when I was here in the States. And so the relationships and stuff that you make in the States with those kids is just completely different than that, than the relationship you tend to have. Well, I've only had one experience so far in Egypt, but um, different than culturally both ways. You know, in the States, you're kind of dealing, there's so many other aspects that go into teaching and there's so many other aspects that we fight as teachers um, other than just giving them the knowledge. Yeah. So, you know, we're fighting their home life. I had one of my favorite students um, was so smart, so smart, but the hardest part was getting him to come to school and we would call home and, you know, we would call the mom and we would say, hey, where is he? You know, you got to stay awake till he gets there. And she's like, oh, well, we, the bar alarm goes off. I wake him up and we both go back to sleep. Um, so, you know, it's just that there's so many other things that we're fighting as teachers, um, rather than just the, the, the teaching. If we just had them all the time, I think it would be so much easier. Um, but we fight so many other outside circumstances that 
just sometimes make our lives a little bit more difficult than not. But that's what gives us characters. That's what makes us so much more than teachers. That makes us the counselor, the parent, the mediator. Which is a lot to put on a person for that many people. Yeah. So it's one thing if you were given one, two, maybe even five kids to do that with. But you have, how many classes did you have? Uh, In the States, I had seven. So seven Uh, classes, average 15? Yeah, average like 28. Wow. Yeah. So it's a lot of kids. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. So share why, why make the move overseas? Because you um, ended up going to Egypt to teach. Yeah. So I ended up going to Egypt. Um, I originally wanted to do mission work. Um, so I wanted to work on an orphanage somewhere and through um, doing work on an orphanage, I realized that like when you raise support and you do that stuff, you just don't have the platform that you have because you're coming in and you're getting funded from the States. And so I realized that if I wanted to be in a country, I needed to be earning money in a country. Like I needed to be living and doing life in the country. Um, so my heart has always been overseas. I loved teaching in the States, like absolutely loved teaching in the States. Um, but I needed to experience, I have always had something. I went to Haiti was my first third world country that I went to. I was 19 years old. And ever since then, I've just had something that's been like, we're we're not going to stay here. We're not going to stay in the States. Um, and so I was like, I got to experience this, another culture. I got to experience another way of doing this. What else is out there for us as teachers? Um, and then, you know, teaching internationally, they're much more global-minded. Like the students that you work with are much more global-minded. And the idea when you get hired is that we are we are, we are truly, you know, I think in the States, we say we're creating global-minded people, um, but it's a lot harder to create global-minded students in the States because not many Americans want to leave America. Like mm-hmm. it's very, un- we have everything we need there and we don't really want to leave and we don't need to leave and it's good here. So we don't need to leave. Whereas internationally, I don't, I mean, I think there's like country pride, but I think also too, you need a lot more students who know about different countries because Mm -hmm. they are truly globally minded. And so when I wanted to, when I thought about making the transition overseas, a lot of it was, no, I want to, I want to contribute on a global scale. And Mm -hmm. I want to be the students I teach now, you know, we, we, we're prepping them for what are you going to do globally? Like, not staying in Egypt. So how are we going to, you know, make this move internationally? What effect are we going to have globally? Yeah, I, I love that because even here in the States, we talk about how we're training up leaders. That's a whole other version of a leader. When you're saying like, we're going to, we're going to teach you to understand nations, not just understand your nation, to understand people groups, not just the group you're a part of. And there's so much power in that, so much power. Share with us a little bit about, so I know that there are other teachers that come and teach there too. Are they, a lot of them from the States? What's the makeup? Um, so <clears throat> most of the teachers, so I teach at a British American school. So I teach at a British school that has an American program. Um, and so there's two sections to our school. So our kids in sixth grade get to decide um, if they wanna go a British diplomacy, an American diplomacy, or an Ivy diplomacy. And so I teach on an American section. So the diversity of teachers, most of our teachers are either from the UK or the US. Mm. Now the diversity in that comes from 
how teachers were trained. Um, and what I don't think many people, um, especially um, the British counterparts that we have, don't understand is like when you have three American teachers in a room, like for example, I found four lovely ladies that I loved to travel with. That was like my travel group. Um, of the four of us, one was from California, one was from New Jersey, one is from Ohio, and the other one's from the UK. And so with me from Texas, that diversity in group, no matter, even though all of us are from the US, we've all been trained completely differently. Mm. What, we were, what we taught, our experience in the state, and what we taught was completely different from each other. What was taught in Jersey versus what was taught in Ohio versus what, and some of them taught in North Carolina and DC is different. And then some of them taught in Asia. So what they've learned as far as teaching and the experiences they have, they bring differently. So even though most of us are from the US, the experiences that we've had have created completely different teachers, diverse teachers from how they teach and what they teach um, that they bring to the teaching community, if that makes sense. Yeah, and that has to be a unique experience for the student as well. Um, just to get all of those different backgrounds, teaching them. And then, yeah, and for them too, they have to learn, um, you know, we teach to our culture. Um, and so they're experiencing so many different things. And especially like some of our phrases that we use um, and some of the like analogies or the puns and things that we use are different. And so sometimes you'll say something that's, um, completely normal to you and they think it's the funniest thing in the world you know Can you give us an example of one yeah so um I mean yeah so oh, I don't know if you've ever seen four brothers mm -mm. but uh Mark Wahlberg stands in the middle of the basketball court and he's about to like shoot it up and he's like you know wants this thing and he stands in the middle of the court and he's like assalamu alaikum right and he does this and he, he leaves. So I tell my kids, in the States, I would always tell my kids, like, hey, assalamu alaikum. And they would think it's so funny because it came from four brothers, right? Mm -hmm. I got here and I'm like, assalamu alaikum. And the kids will respond in Arabic. And I'm like, the first time I was like, <laughs> what? And they're like, I had no idea what I was saying. I was repeating this from four brothers. And they were like, Miss Sony, you know this? I'm like, no. And so now it became this like, this joke. So we have another um, teacher who um, we have had some difficult classes here in Egypt and um, some of our kids are on like behavior trackers mm -hmm. and my kids came back to me and um, you know, they're like, you know, the so-and-so teacher, she got upset. She ripped a little corner of the behavior tracker. You know, we said to her, we told her it was a physical change. And I was like, oh my goodness, great context, awful time. Can't believe you said it to her in that moment. And then I said, you know, she said to us, friend, get your life together. And, I, and so they just think it's hilarious, the different <laughs> sayings um, that us as teachers say. And each one has different sayings um, that, you know, we've had to learn. We've had to learn along the way, along the ways. We also, um, here in Egypt, being referred to an animal is absolutely the biggest insult that you can ever have. Mm. Um, and so when you say something like, um, why does your notebook look like a pigsty? Something we would say very, very casually, very anything here, biggest insult. 
biggest insult that you can get. So learning those things. And I think as teachers, right, like we have so many different diverse things that we pull from um, that the students realize and we realize and we have to, it's everybody, it's a culture and it's a lesson in, um, it's a lesson, it's a learning lesson Mm -hmm. with cultures and diversity from how we we interact with teachers, from how we interact with students. You know, we had one student that uh, told a joke about an orphan. Um, And I think the joke was something along the lines of, you know, why why do orphans go to church or something like that? And it was something so they have, so they can call someone father. And we had this whole conversation about how this joke was very insensitive to a culture like ours where we, we have foster care and we have um, things like that. And so that's, it was a very insensitive joke um, and they didn't get it at first. They were like, well, we don't, the joke was funny to us. And I was like, all right, well, let's put this in perspective. Let's talk about an animal joke. Do you find this one funny? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, kids in the States would find that funny. But I was like, different. You are telling these jokes to American teachers, insensitive to what our culture is. And so just learning the different diversities, you know, they may have said that to another teacher and it been fine, but for others, it may not. So I think it's a tricky balance with them too, because they have teachers from all over, Yeah, all over. I, I love that so much. Um, and I think I, I had shared with you a little bit about, um, well, there's been a lot of talk about diversity here in, in the States for the last few years. And a lot of times there are like things that we focus on and people say diversity of thought, but we don't really um, dive into what that is a lot. We kind of just talk about it. And yeah. so I feel like that is a perfect example of like diversity of thought, diversity of perspective, which is so huge. Um, I come from a lot of the way I think is based on like business. So I'm not like an, a super emotional thinker. Um, and it, it, I get frustrated when people come at me emotionally. Um, and so, cause I'm like, no, like let's think through the process. And so one example of that is I know that in business to succeed, you have to understand your partners. And a lot of times we're gonna have partners for over, from overseas and a lot of business owners and everything. Well, like if they have partners in China, we'll under, we'll study the Chinese culture so that they come off, not just respectful, but if they want to win them over, they have to understand what's going to win someone from that culture over what's important to them. So they study it. Right. But man, if we could just teach everyone to study that in general, how much better would we be as a community, as a society? Right. Like it, it kills me. And we, we try, we try to teach our, I mean, we've done a great job, but, um, I mean, I have a two-year-old. And so like our thing is we don't want her to just learn English because we want her to be able to, one, communicate with other people, but to know that this world is so much bigger than us. Yeah. There's so many different types of people out there and they all have, like, we're all messy, but we're all beautiful in certain ways as well. And so that's great that these kids are being able to see versions of that already. Um, Which is, it's good for them because, you know, (laughs) they go to school you know, we're 98, my, most schools here are 98% Egyptian students. And so they go to school with a lot of their culture. And so when they get to see different types of it from us as teachers, I think it really helps. Yeah. What would you say are the biggest learning lessons that you've taken from some of your, your teachers, your peers? I know that you shared that, you know, obviously all of you come from different backgrounds, but were there any like big aha moments for you that kind of shape some of your time out there? 
Ooh, from teachers? Mm-hmm, from teachers, like lessons you've learned just strictly from teachers. You know, I think they are all education lessons. Do you want education? Sure, that's kind of they're all They're all <laughs> education lessons. Um, some of the biggest things that I think um, different than what's happened in the States mm-hmm. has been this idea of um, standardized grading. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not having grades. And that's been the biggest thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think when I first moved here, this idea of not having grades, I was like, that doesn't even make any sense. Like, how would you not have grades? Um, now, the UK doesn't have grades. And so that's the biggest thing with our two programs is the UK has absolutely no grades. They have tests at the end of, like, at end of seventh grade. And if you pass that test at the end of seventh grade, that's it. And... Whereas the U.S., we're very attendance-based and you've got to pass along the way. There's grades, you have to pass along the way. Now, I definitely don't agree with the no grading system of the U.K., but I also think that the amount of grades and what we grade in the States um, is creating very extrinsically motivated students um, who are more focused on the numerical grade rather than what they're learning. And so there is this um, this nice, happy medium of grades um, that that you can do. And so I'm drawing a blank on the, the name. So hopefully um, you can cut this because now I'm drawing a blank on what's the, um, the name type of, of grading. Is. Got it. Yeah. But, they, but so they, but you're saying so with, um, when they're learning on the American side, you have to do grades and it's not, it's all, sorry, because I'm struggling now with wording it too. Because um, I feel like it leads into like when you get older, it's performance-based. And so that's why a lot of us get stuck with like, hey, I did this um, and I did enough to not fail. So why am I feeling? Yeah. Right now? Um, sorry. And it was standardized. Standards, it's called standards-based grading. <clears throat> yeah. And so standards-based grading works like, instead of giving you, um, so if you think about it, our our scales right now is a 100 to a 90 is an A, 89 to um, 80 is a B, and then there's like a 10-point scale between an A, B, C, D. But then the 50-point scale, like to get an F, there's 50 points in between there. Hmm. And so there's this huge gap. And so between those, those scales, and that's not really a fair or equal grading system. So standards-based grading usually has like a one, two, three, four scale. And so rather than having um, an A or an F, you'll have a, you exceeded expectations, you met expectations, you know, you are below expectations or you just did not meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these types of gradings uh, have helped me realize what and how I'm giving them feedback. Mm -hmm. And so seeing how some teachers use that and do that grading has been really interesting for me um, as far as the grading. The other big thing has been, you know, in the States, we're so bound to standardized testing. So that's the big focus. We don't have that overseas. Our kids are prepped for SAT. They still take SAT. They still take ACT. And there's um, a couple of like a AP exams that they take. 
but that's really what we're prepping them for. And so we are allowed to, we are able and free to do a lot more authentic assessments where, for example, like I am this coming up year and teaching um, climate about climate change and climate effect. And so my big assessment is not going to be a test about the climate. My big assessment is they're going to have to write and come up with a plan for the school and how we as a school, like what plan are they going to pitch to our principal for a plan that we can put in place for how our school, what our school's role is going to be mm. in the climate change. Those are things I think we could do in the U.S., but we don't have time to do them because we're bound to all of these things. So what I've learned from other teachers, so all that to say, what I've learned from other teachers is I've been able to realize just how much more authentic my teaching can be if we take out the, the need for all of these numerical grades yeah. and the need to just be ready for the standardized test. Yeah, no, and that, that definitely makes sense. What would you say that you, and you've kind of touched on a little bit earlier, what you learned the most from, let's say like the difference in parents and students as far as their view of education, both overseas and both in the States? So I mentioned earlier, I did not teach at a Title I school. I mean, I've taught it's only Title I schools. And here um, in Egypt, the way it works is, you know, you are all, it's very, so as in most third world countries, the free schools are not great schools at all. Um, they usually have like 40, 50 kids to a room and not great scenario. So most people, if they can afford to send their kids to school, they send their kids to school. So in the U.S. where you have a Title I school, a lot of services provided to families that need it. In the here in Egypt, it's an international school. This is an actual for-profit school. So parents are paying a lot to go and parents kind of have the mindset that they know that you need their money to, to continue. So with those two factors playing into it, in the U.S., I don't, I did not have any parents. Uh, I didn't have a lot of parent involvement. I won't say any, I didn't have a lot of parent involvement. Mm -hmm. For example, an open house, like I said, I may have 150 kids in an open house. I think before I left the States, I would have 10 parents show up. Crazy. That is wild. Mm -hmm. Whereas in, in Egypt, I have an open house. Every single parent is there. Yeah. All of the parents are there. And usually it's the parents and the oldest sibling and the father, like mom and dad, the oldest sibling mm. is there. We can't even, because of space, we can't even allow students to come to open house in Egypt because it's there. So the involvement is completely different. Um, the other thing is, so, you know, in the States, parents, I mean, once you can get parents on your side, they're your allies. Mm -hmm. So they want what's best for your student. So if, we, if I call your student, like I said, I gave you earlier, I told you the parent um, that her son was sleeping. When I call her and I have this conversation with her, at no point is she like, well, it's your fault. You should get him to school. You should this, you should that. At, at all points, we're both working together to get them whatever they need. They may not know how to help their parent, their student, but we're working together and we're on the same page to get you there. On the other side, um, you're defending yourself a lot. I feel like a lot of times uh, I had great relationships with my parents here in Egypt. Um, I was very, very, very fortunate. Um, but you had to have your ducks in a row. So mm -hmm. uh, great stories. Um, I had a student, um, Google Classroom um, is fantastic for catching all sorts of cheating, right? Um, 
I had a student and I do, I format my documents. And one of my favorite things as a teacher, right? Is like, we, when we catch things, they're like, how did you catch that? I'm like, guys, come on. Y'all are like the world's worst criminal. What is this? <laughs> um, but I had a student who copied and pasted. So the question was, um, how does it, uh, something about the, com uh, the conservation of mass, right? So the question was like, how does this demonstrate the law of conservation of mass? And the students copied something. And so his answer read something like, you know, something, 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 the, the body and the blood of Christ and the something, all these things. I'm reading it and I'm like, what is that? And a friend of mine is Catholic and she's like, girl, he Googled mass. <laughs> and copied and pasted a definition from Catholic mass. And so I call the mom and I read her the, the, the sentence and I'm like, you know, your son cheated. He's this, this, and this. And she was like, no, he did not. And I was like, well, he wrote about mass. Like he was supposed to write about the law of conservation of mass. He wrote about mass. No, these were in his notes that he took with his tutor. Mind you, the whole family's Muslim. Okay. So I'm like, the tutor, the tutor told him to write about the concert, like mass, Catholic mass. Yeah, it was in his notes. Okay, well, I would love to see his notebook. Okay, I'll send it to school. Next day, we can't find his notebook anywhere. I'm like, okay, well, this is the definition about Catholic mass, and this is different. So I just feel like, um, you know, there's a difference in, but once you have your ducks in a row, then it's like, eventually we get to like the, okay, listen, hey, this is what it is, what it is. Okay, cool, we're good. All right. Let's move on. Um, and there's just countless stories like that. So you're a lot of the times you have to be very, um, the parent involvement is so much on the other side um, that often, and students are viewed differently, right? In the US, it's education is viewed differently. And because it's a for-profit school in, in Egypt, um, our role as teachers is different. Like we're almost working for them. Yeah. Whereas in the U.S., it's free education, and we're all kind of on the same side. On the other, on the other end, we're just viewed differently. And the relationship between students is all parent or teachers and students is a lot different too. You know, in the U.S., kids really need you, mm -hmm. and so you're looked at as a parent figure, and they come to you for a lot of things. Whereas in 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 Egypt, you're respected a lot more. Like the role of teacher is a respected role more, um, but you're not needed as much. Because you're just a teacher. I mean, because you just shared in your other story, like, he has a tutor. Like, he has both of his parents. He has mm -hmm. a tutor. And then you're his teacher. Yeah. And so, but it's interesting, you know, because I, when I told mm -hmm. my students I was leaving, um, I got the sweetest responses that I think, you know, I needed to get and I needed to see to, to know the, the work that I had done, you know, with them. Are you um, in the or in Egypt? Because I know you're about to make a move to Milan, and we'll get into yes. that in a little bit. Yes. Um, no, but just the response I have with them, like, you know, once you, this is such a loyal culture that once you're in, you're in. Mm. And it's like you are in for life. Um, and so I looped with my kids. I did two years. I My first group, I loved them so much, and it was during covid and so I had decided I wanted to do another year with them. So I looped with them again. And our second year together was magical. Like the relationships that we have built over the two years that I had had them was, was fantastic. But it took a while to get there. Whereas in the States, it's a little bit easier to build those relationships coming in from a completely different culture until they learned me. 
and learned my culture and I learned them and their culture, it took some time for us to get grounds. And same with the parents. They're having to learn culture each time they get a new teacher, how that teacher differs from the one they had before. Yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I, I know that we spent a little bit of time on education. You are someone that I would describe as someone who has this beautiful fearlessness about experiences, about you would jump at any opportunity to go and travel and ex- you already mentioned experience another culture. I, it was funny yesterday I was talking to someone and he was like, there are adventurous people and then there are chill people. And my wife and I, we're chill. We like to stay home. Like, totally feel you. I agree. I'm one of those people. And I was telling, I was going to be talking to you. I was like, she's the opposite of us. She would jump at any opportunity. And I, I told him, I was like, her Instagram looks so, like she's having so much fun and living her best life and just enjoying this amazing world that God has given us. And to me, I think it's amazing, but also I'm like, so exhausting, right? Because that's just my personality type. But so, share with us a, a bit of those experiences. Because I mean, I feel like it was almost every weekend he went somewhere. So, beauty of being on a British schedule—they have so many more breaks than we have. So, every break we had, including during COVID, we took the opportunity to to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I just this last trip hit 22 countries, which I know doesn't sound a lot to most people, but. Um, from where yeah, I'm from. That sounds like a lot because we probably yeah. go to one a year and that's if everyone yeah. goes on vacation of the country. Um, so some of the best experiences I had, uh, I'm going to highlight Africa because um, I think when I originally moved to Egypt, I was like, I'm going to go to Greece and I'm going to go to Italy and I'm going to go to Spain and I'm going to go to all these places that are super close to Egypt in proximity. Um, but then I got here and I realized, oh my goodness, there's a whole untapped region that I have not gotten to experience yet. Um, and so I spent, have spent time in South, the South African region, the East African region. I live in the North African region. Um, and so some of my top experiences, um, surprisingly, so I went, I went a whole bunch of places that I never would have considered going. Um, my favorite places would have been South Africa. Um, and we spent almost three weeks in South Africa. So spent a long time in South Africa and did South Africa right. Um, but South Africa, you know, was different because even just seeing how far they've come from their apartheid and their, their diversity and the things that they have in South Africa, that was super interesting. And then um, Uganda was my favorite. Um, Uganda was a trip that I was told about when I first got here and they were like, you got to go to Uganda cause you've got to do the gorilla trekking. And I was like, um, I'm from the city. And so I was like this whole camping business, like I'm more of a glamper than a camper. Um, but I've come a long way in my camping since being overseas, you know, like I've come a long way. Um, and so they were like, no, it's great. You'll go, you'll trek with the gorillas and it'll be fine. It'll be so good. Um, and so I was like, you know what, this was like, after I had already been camping a couple of times in Egypt, I was like, okay, this, you know, Uganda will be great. Um, and Uganda, I, you know, the gorilla trekking was the hardest, most thrilling experience I've ever had. I got attacked. We, you trek with the gorillas in the impenetrable forest is what it's called. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why naively I was like, oh, it's going to have this path. It's going to be great. But to give you a mindset, there were four of us and each one of us had a porter to carry, like to help us get through the woods. Um, and then there were four park rangers and there was a tracking team. 
So there were almost double the Ugandans than there were us to get us through this forest. You macheted your way. There was no path. Um, my my um, porter was a birder. And so these guys like hear a bird sound and they're like, you're like, what bird is that? And they'll be like, that's the bird. And then it's right there. And sometimes I would check up on them on an app. I'd be like, let me see if that's really the bird. Oh, that's really the bird. And so we were walking through this place and uh, had a friend. We had a friend in front because she was the slowest one of all of us. And so she had to be our pacer. And so I'm second. And I'm like, what's that? Like, what is that sound? And he was like, wasps. And as soon as he said wasps, it was like something from Hunger Games. Like they were like, Sew! I mean, and it was like one in my ear, one in my glove. And I am like, we've got to go. Mind you, there's no path. So I'm shoving everybody out of the way. It's me, my porter, and the park ranger. Like, he, I am going as fast as he can machete, and we are, like, trying to get out of these wasps, right? I had taken an antihistamine before I got in the forest because I was like, if I get stung by anything, I'm going to blow up like a balloon. So I had already taken all sorts of antihistamines. We get about 30 minutes from this wasp, and out comes a little baby gorilla. I mean, mm. cutest little thing. And then we got to hang out for an hour amongst a family of like seven or eight gorillas. Um, and it was the most fascinating experience to be amongst these wild gorillas in their habitat. Yeah. Knowing, you know, if they roll out of this tree right now, I'm, we're done for. Um, but it was just such an amazing experience. And then Ugandans in general, East Africa culture is unlike anything else. Um, but then just Ugandans in general, the food that you eat, the experiences you have. I mean, we went kind of towards the end of COVID and there were some villages that we went to and we wore our masks and they didn't have masks. And the guy, our guide was like, you know, some of these villages haven't even heard of COVID. Nobody had been visiting their villages and they don't have TVs. They don't have these things. So I haven't heard it. So we were like, well, we wear the mask because we don't want to be the people that have brought COVID to your little village. But it was so interesting to think that like they are so secluded from the world. Yeah. But can you imagine how like stress-free that must be? Yeah. There are times I have to take breaks from the content I consume. When I first, my husband was, it's surprising because my husband doesn't do social media at all but he listens to podcasts. And so, because I'm in real estate last year, he was like, you should really get a TikTok. Look at these people making, getting so much business from TikTok. So I did. And I was like, oh, this is not healthy. Like I deleted it multiple times. Like now I have it to where it's so hidden, like in, um, in my phone that it's like so too many swipes to have to get to it. Yeah. So I don't even get to it as much anymore, but yeah, no. very stress-free. Yeah. They're very stress-free. I mean, we whitewater rafts like through the Nile, the other end of the Nile, not the Egyptian end, but the other end of the Nile that goes through Uganda. And there are people washing their clothes in the Nile. Mm. Like it's just such a different lifestyle. What would you say is, so obviously that one had a very lasting impression on you. Were there any big takeaways from this trip or any other trips that were like either aha moments for you or that like affected you in some way that cause change or growth or anything like that? Um, any of the experiences I've had to do outside in nature have caused growth and um, aha moments. But you know, the biggest thing is how easy it is for us to get into other countries mm -hmm. as Americans. So 
having a blue passport and the other girl that travels with us has a British passport. Those two passports are gold anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't have to apply for visas. I mean, it's super simple. Like when we went to Uganda, we had to go online, upload a copy of our passport and pay, you know, $50 and out came a visa for other people to get in other countries. It's a full application process where they have to show that they're not flight risks or why they're going to be there. Um, and most of the time they get denied. Yeah. Most of the time they get denied. And so having this privilege of this blue passport is something that has been the biggest aha moment, especially because, you know, in the States right now, we, we talk about white privilege has been the biggest mm-hmm. sort of saying that's there. And, you know, my mother is white. So we have these conversations all the time about, you know, the privilege that she has, that she doesn't want to deny, or she wants to deny. And, versus not. But Americans have a certain amount of privilege that comes with our blue passport that is undeniable. Um, And that's been the biggest thing traveling is just that when we, even on my way to um, Egypt, uh, I've had a couple of very quick change layovers. And so I was with a guy from Iran and he was going to do work. I think he was going to Dubai um, to do work. And he had a visa already. Like he had had a visa. We were both like, all right, let's get through the airport together. And sometimes it's easy if you kind of like find a buddy and y'all run through the airport together. And so we were together, like in the the line and we got to border control and, you know, they were like, are y'all together? And we're like, yeah, we're traveling through the airport together. And he looked at me and was like, no, are y'all together? And I was like, I mean, like we're walking through the airport together. And he was like, are you going to the same destination? And I was like, we're not going to the same destination. We have the same connection, but we're not going to the same destination. And he got detained. Mm-hmm. He got taken and he got detained. Now, again, I don't know his story because we had only met on the plane. We were sitting next to each other on the plane. He had had his work documents. At least that's what he told me. He had his work documents and he was going. Um, but the stress that they have going through the, the airport is something that we don't ever get. We don't ever have to experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a friend here who is Somalian. And um, she cannot go to the UK to visit her mom because it is so difficult for her to get a visa. She is the kindest, most sweetest person I have ever met. One of the best people I have ever met. Um, but because she seems like a flight risk on paper, she can't even go visit her mom who's living in the UK. Um, and so it's just this, you know, it's sad. Um, I'm thankful for the passport that we have, but at the same time, when you meet all these wonderful people, what, what is the, why me? Because where I was born, I didn't choose where I was born. They didn't choose where they were born, but because we hold this different documentation, we have different rights and different liberties. We can move through the entire world as we please. They cannot. And that has been the biggest, like, wow. Um, I don't think you would realize unless you're hanging out with people who are not American or who are not from countries that have passports that are easily, you know, recognized. Yeah. I think that is an amazing lesson for people. Cause I mean, we, I mean, you've seen a lot of stuff on the news and craziness that's going on here in the States and we've lost that gratitude for our country and the luxuries that we have. Um, there is a saying, and I may butcher it. Um, there's a guy I follow, his name is Patrick Bet David. Love, love, love his stuff. Um, and he, he says that, um, what is it? 
Hard times make strong leaders, strong leaders make good times, good times make weak leaders. And so it's just a cyclical thing. And so because we've had such good times, we have become weak leaders because we're soft and we don't realize how good we have it. Yeah. I have a, um, so I'm in real estate. I have some clients who are from Nigeria and they have told me that there are times where parents will come and they will kind of will come here to the States, have their child here. So that their child's an American citizen, go back. So their, their children grow up in their village in Nigeria, come back in high school so they can be educated here and have opportunities because you can go to school in Nigeria and, and do all the stuff that you do here, but you cannot get a job the way you can here. It's very, very hard. And so women get into prostitution and all this stuff. And when, let's say you have a girl who she's the child who's born here, goes over there, comes back, men who were born in Nigeria will try to woo them when they come back home to, you know, visit in Nigeria and, and try to cause you to fall in love with them because of how valuable that green card is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's crazy. Like I, I had a, I have a, so I have some clients who are connected and working with what one of them was one of them came here she was born here and she she had a man from Nigeria that she fell in love with and they were going to get married and he really wanted property here and so because he had money overseas and he had done well there but doing well here is way different yeah and so it was like if you can get property in the states that's a really really big deal and now they're going through this crazy thing of they've separated but both of them are on the deed and how do you how do you get one person off if they don't want to get off yeah Yeah. and so it's it's crazy and people just 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 kind of drive this home and end it it's um people don't realize how valuable um how valuable our citizenship truly is yeah um so i'm going to go into a segment i like to call the four w's um i'm a firm believer that you are what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, and who you hang out with. So for the first one, um, what is it that you listen to? Are you big on music? Do you listen to podcasts, audiobooks? What does that look like for you? Um, I love a good audiobook. I am not a fantastic reader. I have dyslexia. And so um, I love audiobooks and I love podcasts. Like those are my two, what I choose to listen to most often. I would love, you know, here we don't have cars. So we go for a long walk and we listen to audiobooks and podcasts. Um, so podcast wise, there's two, I love today explained, um, it is short and sweet and it is usually, um, right to the point, very informative. And so I just listened to one today about, um, the new James Webb, um, telescope and all of that. Cause I'm super interested in like, you know, what does this do if we discover like a whole nother, another life form? So yeah. been fascinated about that some of the images that that we're seeing from the the James Webb's telescope what is, what is that podcast called um the, the podcast is called today explained okay. and they have all sorts of things um like they did a pretty good one about you know the January 6th things that have happened and they did a pretty good one about how do we control gun control now um and so it's, it's really good um, podcast. And then the other one I really like to listen to, um, is actually a, a podcast that's ran by a friend of mine from high school. It's his wife's podcast. Um, and it's called build your well and well, like W E L L and it's a 15 minute faith-based podcast. And so she gives like 
usually she does like series too, but um, she does like just 15 minutes of like faith-based, usually like a scripture reading and a prayer. And so if you're looking for like a quick faith-based podcast, she's really great, especially if you have a short drive or a short walk. Um, she's a really great, Taylor Moore is her name, and she has a really great podcast that, um, that I really like listening to. And audiobook wise, um, I'm in the middle of the Bridgerton series. I liked the series on Netflix, mm-hmm. so I wanted to read the books. And now I'm ahead in the books, and the books are completely different than the series. So it's like two different stories. What I watch and what I read is, or listen to is two completely different things. Um, and then there's two books I haven't read yet, but I want to talk about because I think people should read them. Um, one is called uh, Women Don't Owe You Pretty. Mm. And this one was recommended to me from one of my British friends. And I read just the um, like chapter titles. Mm-hmm. And it has some things that I think women, that are just really great for us as women. Um, and then the other one's called The Sum of Us. And this one I just started today. Um, and it's basically about how um, policies and things have racism that keep us from having things like universal health care, which, um, you know, living overseas has, I lived overseas during a really interesting time in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. like I've been overseas when Trump was in and I was flying like going in between South Africa and Egypt when the January 6th thing was happening and having to explain to people about Americans and all that as it's happening and during COVID and during the mass shootings and during all of the things that are happening, I've lived overseas. And so um, the some of us I'm excited to listen to because, you know, I've gotten to benefit from universal healthcare and I really enjoy it. And so why you know, just hoping to understand why, why can we not get there in the U.S.? You know, like what's really holding us back? So that book was recommended to me um, Hmm. to kind of get us there. Got it. Well, so since that kind of also answers what you're reading, since you do audiobooks instead. Yes. um, So what are, what are you watching? What would you say are your go-to's? Well, I do want to talk about two books that I am reading. I actually read. I had. I just oh, sorry. finished my okay, master's. Got it. All right. Then we'll do that one first. Okay. Then books you're actually reading. I just finished my master's like today. Last assignment turned in. Get it. So most of my books that I'm reading are educational books. But there's one book that I wanted to recommend to you because it's kind of a business book, but I had to read it in my education class. Mm-hmm. It's um, called The Advantage and it talks about organizational health. And he writes it for all organizations and it talks about organizational health from a standpoint of basically just having good culture in your organization and how you need to have like a certain culture in order to be successful in an organization. Um, But it goes well with teachers because teaching is an organization and you need to have a healthy organization in order to succeed. It's a short book. It's called The Advantage with Organizational Health and it's super good. And the other one for teacher leaders that they should read is, uh, I just finished reading, it's called Leverage Leadership. Mm-hmm. And it has a bunch of different leverages that educators, mainly um, administrators, should have in order to run a healthy school. Um, so two fantastic things that I just finished reading, um, thanks to my master's, but would we'll definitely go back and read them again. What are maybe one or two of those things that you think could 
if they were implemented, could make a drastic change in the education system? You know, it mainly culture. Like that has been so much so that I'm not going to be an administrator this year, but culture, like your staff and student culture cannot be something that we take to chance. Hmm. Those are things, there's two things, I guess. Those are things that you cannot, we can't go, well, culture is just built over time. No, the things that we do, the culture that I want in my classroom, if I want a culture where we are creative thinkers, or if I want a culture that encourages diversity, or if I want a culture that um, encourages communication, then everything that I do has to, has to mirror that. If I want a culture of celebration, then we got to celebrate each other. I need to have a board for celebration and we need to talk about our celebrations and things we're doing outside of class. And so having truly planned culture among your staff and your students is important. When I, if I want my kids to be prompt, then that starts now. And you know, my kids, like they're on time for my class. And if they're not on time for my class, there's consequences. And that's because the culture is we got things to do. Um, And the other thing is data. Um, is using data. Mm-hmm. Every other, I mean, and this is a, a very controversial topic for teachers because I think teachers are driven with data, but and I think it's used in the wrong way in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm not a proponent for getting rid of data usage, and that's because every other profession, your profession in real estate, if you guys don't have the numbers and we're not, if we're not driving data and sales, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And so in education, it's the same thing. What is that? We've got to look at our data. And if we're not using our data to adapt, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. And the book talks about good ways. The Leverage Leader Tip talks about great ways to um, effectively use data. And then the other book talks a lot about culture. Got it. Okay. No, those are really good ones. Even though the Leverage Leadership is technically for teachers, I think that would be great for just about anyone. Um, yeah wanting to be a leader um, okay so then when it comes to what are you watching what what are your go-tos so back up. um I have to say I am a sucker for mindless tv I think because I have to be so on all the time um that I'm sucker for anything that I can get lost in mm-hmm. um so currently I am finishing well, I just started the first episode of the the last season the newest season of stranger things Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm currently watching that. And then I'm on the last season, my last few episodes, I'm trying to like slow down and hold on to my last few episodes of Grace and Frankie, which have just been such a fun watch to have. So anything that's like mindless in TV, um, are, are things that I watch, you know, Bridgerton. I said, I watched Bridgerton cause I'm now reading their books. Um, but things that I can get lost into characters that are different than my life. Got it. Got it. I love that you were able to kind of stick with Bridgerton by going to the books, because I know the other two don't necessarily have books that you can just, hey, I'm going to pick up, not necessarily where I left off, but keep going with these characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it comes to who you hang out with, I would say, who are the people that you choose to hang out with? Um, not that you have to hang out with, but that you choose to. When you look at all those people, what are similar characteristics that you see? You know, open-mindedness. I don't know if everybody, like I said, the four girls, there's five of us, the four girls that I really connect with here and I travel with and become my closest friends here, all of us are so different. We took our, because we're K-12 in our school, our business class students um, did a, a um, 
one of those learning personality tests. Mm-hmm. And only four of us took the personality test because we were only four American teachers and it was on the American side and one is British. But four, there were four learning or four personality categories. All four of us had different, huh? The DISC assessment? DISC assessment. Okay. DISC, DISC. Mm-hmm. All four of us were different. Uh, Who are you? If you would look at the DISC, I can't remember my letter. If you would look at it, I am very like, the kids were like, you were one that we just, we knew. I need to look and see what are they. Analytical. Are you like, so C is analytical and very like about crossing their, their T's and dotting their I's. I feel like you're that, but I feel like you could also be an I. What was I? I is like the, the talkative, like they're very social. No, no. Really? Yeah. Okay. S, if is, I, S is like the really nice person. And then D, you always think like, not domineering, but like, very dominant but almost like ceo oh no i'm a d i think i'm a d really? is d red is d red <laughs> is d red yes yeah i think i'm d i d okay i could see that too though yeah because so, not your structure in your way yeah no i am oh uh, yeah i am a driver i'm dominant yes i am absolutely a d and the kids were like we knew you were a d so funny <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. They had to predict what they thought we were ahead of time too. Yeah. Um, and I'm very much like there wasn't a, wasn't a difference. Like I was a, I was a D, but so all four of us had different things. And so it was cool to see, like, you know, I don't necessarily, um, and my fiance is a, is a, if you were to put him, he'd be the analytical one. Mm. He'd be in the analytical category. And so I think for me, the biggest thing is people being open-mindedness you know, and figuring out how, like, we don't necessarily have to agree on different, but can I respect your, your take on something in these conversations? And can you expect, can you respect how I am in them? And that's, that's the biggest thing. When I hang out with people, it's, do they love people and truly love people? Like this person may be something completely different than what you are, but can you still sit in a room and have a conversation with them? Do you truly love people? Yeah. Like the open-mindedness and loving people, that's what I look for when I pick the people that I love to hang out with. Got it. Okay. So I am I'm a part of this leadership program within the Houston Association of Realtors. And so like 35 people get picked every year out of a few hundred. And so um, this year, and it's been an amazing, amazing experience. Like I can't, I could literally spend hours talking about like all of like just the, the things I've heard people say, the stories I've heard, like the teachers that have come in, like their one liners, so good. But we all did the DISC assessment before we even all met. And so we meet every month. And it's funny because like the first month we all got our forms about like, you know, who we are, our breakdowns, all that stuff. And we've started playing like at each event almost especially in the beginning, we do these different like team growing exercises and you'd see the personalities come out. Yeah. So like I'm high SC. A lot of people think like, oh, you're probably I because you're in sales. I'm not. I, I get drained like talking to people a lot. Like I'm good one-on-one, but if you put me in a whole yeah. group, I back away because it's too much. Um, and D, the reason I've heard that I'm not very much a D is because C's or so I'm a high S. S's care more about what other people think about them than D's do. And so one of my big aha moments recently was we had this trainer come in and he started breaking people apart based on their disc assessment. So he didn't do mine, but he would put someone's on the screen and then he'd go and talk to them. Like there was one guy, he was even like, are you the oldest in your family? Yeah, I can tell. 
and then just like different stuff about him and but so there's this one lady he went to she just um gotten her broker's license and he was like as you build your brokerage because you're a high s here's going to be one of your big challenges you want to make everyone happy and sometimes you're going to have to make tough decisions that are going to affect people and people aren't going to like them but it's for the greater good of the company and you're really going to struggle with that you're going to have to learn and i like as he said that i'm like there are so many things i want to do this podcast included that I'm like, I've made excuses and yeah. I've had fears as to why I won't do it because I'm so scared of how it will be perceived. Literally the week I started, I started the podcast a week later, I ended up going solo as a realtor and I left my team lead. And that's something I had been wanting to do for a while, but I was like, what if I leave him? And it seems like I'm ungrateful for all that he did for me. Yeah. Or what if he like, it looks like, man, you're never going to make it because you're by yourself. So it was all these like, negatives I had already put in my head so it's crazy like how in line the disc assessment is with people <laughs> and yeah, like it yeah. um, we found it so fascinating mm-hmm. we found it so fascinating even seeing the dynamics of friends like I tried to get my family to do it because like even seeing at once you once you see what you are it makes sense like oh this is why you are the way that you are you yeah. know and it's, yeah, it helps you understand them more for sure. Yeah. Um, is there any, before we end this, is there any encouragement you can give to um, two groups of people? One, people looking to become teachers. And then two, even people who were considering going overseas similar to you, how you did. Or, and actually I'm going to do three people. So those two people. Third is the burnout teacher here in the States. What encouragement can you give them? So first is one thinking about becoming a teacher, one thinking about becoming a teacher overseas, and then the third one is the burnout teacher. Um, the becoming a teacher, uh, you have definitely have to be in it for the right reasons. There are so many hard days um, that you, you got to be in it for the right reasons. Um, with that being said, take time for yourself. This was told to me my first year of teaching, and it's one of my favorite things that I've kept to my weekends are my weekends and my I do not have my email on my phone I have never had my email on my phone in my syllabus it has always said listen I am available for you during these hours but I need a reset time and even when I give projects with parents I'm like hey listen I gave your kid a project don't send me the email over the weekend don't send it I'm not going to read it I'm not going to see it until after the due date don't send it. When I go on vacation, I'm not giving you work because I'm not doing work. Um, and it has really helped me to not get burnt out. And so what gets done at work, gets done at work. And if it doesn't get done at work, it'll be okay. It will be okay. And that has really taken me through that. So for those becoming teachers, that's my advice. It was so great to me that I actually took my first year and, um, hold on to, you know, all of the parent emails that you get and the student letters that you get that talk about you were a mother to them. And Mm -hmm. even here, um, you know, women are not highly praised here in Egypt. And so my female students coming to me and talking about how they, from dealing with me, how they now want to influence female Mm -hmm. culture in Egypt, like hold on to all those compliments that you get from students, because those or what feeds you kind of going forward. So that's my advice to incoming teachers. Those transitioning overseas, it is a scary route to do, 
I had been talking about doing it for six years. I paid off my loans. And then as soon as I did it, I was like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? And I think everybody, when they step into their first job, the first airport they get is like, what did I do? What decisions did I make? Why did I do it? Um, do it, do it. Um, even if you decide to do it for a year or two, there are many districts, especially if you're listening to this, not in Texas, there are many districts that will do a, like, um, a furlough program. So we have a lot of teachers here who they're only doing a two-year contract overseas and their district is holding their position for them when they get back. They don't get to go to the same, like they don't get to go back into the exact same role, but their district has promised them like, go do your thing for two years and then you can come back and still have your job here. So even if you're not committed to it long-term, yeah. most districts have a program where they'll still give you a job that you can come back to after teaching overseas. Um, teaching overseas has given you, it's, it's a hard process to do, but international teachers, most schools do a lot of the work for them. Getting the documents is the hardest part and getting there is hard. But once you're there, you get to experience, um, the world in a new light and America in a new light. Like mm. how I have viewed things since I've been overseas has been completely different. And, um, it has just been a wonderful experience. And if it weren't for parents, um, I don't know if, if it would, if I would have any pull to come back, you know, mm -hmm. other than the family that I have there. I have friends that I know would come see me anywhere and technology has kept it easy to keep up with friends, babies, but do it, go overseas. Mm -hmm. It's a hard step to take. It's a scary step to take. I took it as a single woman. Um, I met my partner overseas and it's been great. Yep. And you just got engaged. I did just get engaged. So it, was, like, it was two weeks ago though, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like two weeks ago. Yeah, no, that's exciting. So y'all got engaged here and then immediately went back. Yes. Very shortly after went back. <clears throat> got it. So. Well, and then- um, Burnt out teachers. To, yeah, teachers that are struggling. I think, I don't, so I really struggle with burnt out teachers because you know, I, my whole COVID was overseas. And so what there, my mom is retiring this year, and I think she would have stayed in a little bit longer, but just hearing what burnt out teachers had, to, I mean, it's been difficult all over the world, but I think teachers in the U.S. have had it more difficult than anybody else. And um, I can't imagine, like, I cannot imagine what they've went through. So for burnout teachers, you know, my advice is to, to continue the fight, fight the good fight. I think that you know, with certain policy changes, I hope that things will continue to get better for us. And I hope that certain things like this is just a curve, like a down in the curve. Um, but the other thing is, you know, education is not a, we, we are educators and it doesn't always have to be educating of teachers. So I know a lot of burnt out teachers are, are leaving educating students, but find find if educating education is your thing there are other ways that you can educate um, and there are other places that you can go to educate rather than being in the system um, but I think this is a wave a wave that we're doing and hopefully we're at the end of this wave and things will start to kind of mellow out and so continue to fight that good fight um, or jump ship and transition overseas <laughs> we'll have a um while we have experienced some of the effect, it is on a much smaller scale um, in the international world.
Got it. Well, where can people find you? Do you prefer Instagram? Yes, I'm on Instagram, although my account is private because I work with very nosy middle schoolers um, who like to be all in your business. Um, I, I do have a private account. My Instagram is Tierra Tony underscore um, zero nine. I will like I've had people that have hit me up about different places. So like if you're interested mm-hmm. in any of the places that I talked about today, um, I send itineraries. Um, I'm on two um, Facebook groups that are really great for travel. I'm on girls love travel and black travel movement. Um, and so I'm both on both of those groups. And so if you see any of my posts on there, please feel free to hit me up on Facebook. Um, I send, like I said, I send out already made itineraries from places that I've been because I'm a planner and a lot of people don't like to plan their, their trips. And so they're just like, oh, you went to South Africa for three weeks. Please send me the whole Google sheet. Yeah. Where did you stay? What did you do? How did you do it? And I send them the Google sheet and they go from there. So that's awesome. You know, you could probably make a business out of that, but that's you, know, you don't have to do it for free. <laughs> oh, I've thought about it. So there's been a couple of things that like I've a couple of business ventures I've thought about since then. And that's one of them, like creating itineraries for people. Yeah. Give one free thing away to draw them in and then you start. Trying. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you so much, Tiara, for taking the time. Uh, it was so great to, to catch up with you. Um, so thank you again. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that uh, you've started this. Thank you. We'll, we'll see like, how it goes. Um, you know, I, you've I, always I, been a go-getter. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> it's crazy because, oh. like, I'm a go-getter, but then, I, like, I hate seeing it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's so much work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it definitely challenged me. Um, it's been an interesting learning experience. And I just, for me, I feel like everyone has an interesting story. And so it's like just getting to pull some of the value that they have that they can share with other people. Like there's that for me is fun. Cause like, even yeah. now when I meet just even the randos, um, I'm like, Oh man, I wish you could share that with people because that's real powerful. So it's been weird. Yeah. Like yeah, this podcast, um, I know we just met, but I'd really love to talk to you. So it's been, it's definitely been a fun experience. That's cool. Anyway, all right. Well, it was great talking to you. I look forward to seeing you next time you're in the States. Thank you. Bye.